Hi all, you're listening to At The Beam, a medical education podcast where we discuss high-yield oncology with a focus in radiation oncology. We are Trudy and Josh, and thank you for listening. Hi everyone, hope you're all doing well. Um, Today on At The Beam, we're going to be discussing locally advanced non-small cell lung cancer. About 30% of patients present with stage 3A disease. So Josh, you are seeing a six-year-old male with a 25-pack year smoking history and three months of cough and weight loss. How do you want to work up this patient? Yeah, I always want to start off with the history and physical, get a CBC, a CMP, and uh, consider getting a CT chest with contrast. And um, this is plus or minus, including the abdomen and pelvis. Great. So this patient, his physical exam is normal, as are his labs. His CT chest shows a six centimeter tumor in the left lower lobe within large ipsilateral hilar lymph nodes. What's your next step? Yeah, our, our next step here will be getting a, a tissue sample. Uh, so this will be a biopsy either through an EBIS or a mediastinoscopy, or we can get a CT guided biopsy as well. Very good. Um, his biopsy confirms squamous cell carcinoma. What are some other ways a patient with advanced lung cancer may present? Are there any perineoplastic syndromes we should be looking out for? Yeah, so uh, some of the common signs and symptoms include shortness of breath, uh, hemoptysis, uh, anorexia, and weight loss, like in this patient. Um, the notorious perineoplastic syndromes that we learned about in medical school include Horner syndrome, which includes um, the triad of ptosis, meiosis, and anhydrosis, uh, Pankos syndrome, which is the result of an apical tumor invading the thoracic inlet, um, causing Horner's, uh, brachial plexopathy, shoulder pain, and sometimes SVC syndrome. Um, other perineoplastic syndromes include uh, hypercalcemia of malignancy due to parathyroid hormone-related peptide, um, seen usually with a, a squamous cell carcinoma and Lambert-Eaton. Very good. We all wish that we could forget that information, but no, it continues to live on. Um, and also, don't forget that patients may have voice hoarseness due to recurrent laryngeal nerve involvement from a pancos tumor. So now that we have tissue confirmation, are there any studies you'd like to get for this patient? Yeah, given that this is likely advanced stage disease, I'd also like to get a PET CT and MRI brain to complete staging. I'd also get uh, pulmonary function testing to determine if uh, the patient is a surgical candidate. Okay. So his PFTs are normal, his MRI brain is negative, and then the PET CT shows uptake in the primary lung mass and then again multiple ipsilateral hilar lymph nodes. Can you go through the eighth edition lung cancer staging for us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for T staging, this is primarily size-based. So T1 tumors are less than 3 cm. T2 is anywhere from 3 to 5 cm in size. T3 is 5 to 7. Uh, multiple nodules in the same lobe or invasion of the parietal pleura, chest wall, phrenic nerve, or pericardium. And T4 is uh, are tumors that are greater than 7 cm in size, uh, multiple nodules in separate lobes, or invasion of the diaphragm, mediastinum, great vessels, trachea, carina, uh, recurrent laryngeal nerve, esophagus, or the vertebral bodies. Now, if the patient has ipsilateral peribronchial or hyaluronic lymph nodes, um, they're N1. And if they have ipsilateral mediastinal or subcrinal lymph nodes, they're N2. And finally, if contralateral lymphadenopathy or any scalene supraclavicular lymph nodes are involved, that'd be N3 disease. Uh, if a patient has nodules in the contralateral lobe, pleural nodules, or a malignant effusion, um, they're automatically considered to have M1 disease. 
so this patient has a 6CM tumor with an ipsilateral hilar lymph node. So this would be a clinical stage of uh, CT3N1. All right, excellent, very thorough. So thoracic surgery sees the patient and decides to take him for upfront resection. And just a quick word on PFTs, we are primarily interested in the FEV1 and DLCO, which ideally should be greater than 80% predicted if the patient were to be a surgical candidate. So our patient, he gets a lipectomy, he gets a mediastinal lymphadenectomy, and he is actually upstaged to PN2 disease with a positive microscopic margin. What are your recommendations for adjuvant therapy, Josh? Yeah, so um, given the positive margin, I'd probably recommend concurrent chemoradiation, uh, likely 60 gray with uh, cisplatin etoposide or weekly carbopaclitaxel. Okay, very good. So let's change it up and say at diagnosis, the patient had bilateral mediastinal lymphadenopathy instead. So he had N3 disease. How would this change your treatment recommendation? So with uh, N3 disease, he's now stage 3B. So I'd probably advocate for a definitive chemoradiation um, in 60 gray and 30 fractions with, again, either concurrent cisplatin etoposide or weekly carboplatin paclitaxel. And then this would be followed by Duralumab for about a year um, as per the Pacific trial. Okay. Is there a role for dose escalation beyond 60 gray? And what is the dosing of concurrent cisplatin etoposide and then carboplatin paclitaxel? So yeah, the um, trials and dose escalation had been negative. Um, for cisplatin and toposide, the dose is uh, 50 milligrams per meter squared for both agents um, every four weeks. And for weekly carboplatin, uh, we look at an area under the curve of about two, and uh, pacotaxel is also 50 milligrams per meter squared. Great. And if you do definitive sequential chemoradiation, what's the dose of carboplatin and paclitaxel? And then actually, when would you even advocate for sequential chemoradiation? So uh, we're going to be looking at 200 milligrams per meter squared every three weeks. Um, that's the dosing that we would uh, typically start with with chemotherapy. And then radiation would follow at 60 gray and 30 fractions. Um, many trials have shown that concurrent chemo-RT uh, has better survival outcomes than sequential, but they uh, result in um, worse uh, toxicity, uh, primarily in the esophagus, um, about 20% versus less than 5%. So sequential is sometimes considered for patients who have poor functional status or impaired baseline pulmonary function. Um, basically, any patient that we think would not be able to tolerate uh, the toxicity of concurrent chemo-RT. Exactly. And how would you sim the patient and describe your treatment volumes for definitive chemoradiation, please? Yeah, so for our simulation, um, this would be uh, head for a supine with the arms up with a, a 40 CT acquisition, if that's available, and IV contrast. Um, for treatment volumes, I'd probably fuse the most recent PET CT scan to help aid in uh, GTV uh, delineation, which include the primary lung lesion and a pathologic nodal disease. For the uh, GTV, I'll contour the GTV on a MIP scan with a three to eight millimeter margin to form an ITV, uh, cropping out any uninvolved organs, and then add an additional five millimeter margin to form a PTV. Okay, very good. Um, yes, yeah, so that's what your volumes will look like for definitive chemoradiation. Would you include elective nodes? And also, what dose constraints are you going to be using? I wouldn't include any uh, elective nodal coverage since it hasn't really shown to improve local regional control. I'll probably keep the mean lung dose to less than 20 gray and then look at the lung V20, make sure that's less than 35%. 
Uh, look at the esophagus as well, and make sure that the mean dose of the esophagus is less than 34 gray, and that the mean heart dose is less than 20 gray. At the brachial plexus, I probably look for a D max of about 66 gray. Okay, very good. And then what are some acute and late toxicities you're looking out for in this patient? Yeah, in the short term, you know, some patients might develop some fatigue, some cough or esophagitis and uh, shortness of breath. In the long term, I probably look out for pneumonitis, um, lung fibrosis, brachioplexopathy, and any signs of cardiotoxicity. So going back, who is the ideal candidate for neoadjuvant chemoradiation? Um, and then what is your management strategy there? For uh, neoadjuvant chemo-RT, this is usually considered for patients who have minimal non-bulky N2 disease, and more importantly, should be candidates for lobectomy. Um, patients of a superior sulcus tumor are also an ideal uh, neoadjuvant chemo-RT patient. These patients are treated to 45 gray with conventional fractionation and concurrent cisplatin and etoposide, which then lead up to surgery. Exactly. And then finally, um, are there any significant gene mutations we're looking out for in non-small cell lung cancer? Yeah, and uh, EGFR mutation in exon uh, 19 and 21 is seen in about 10% of cases and importantly predict uh, an excellent clinical response uh, with the use of TKI such as uh, osimertinib. Um, EGFR is more commonly mutated in squamous cell carcinoma. All right. This concludes our episode on local advanced lung cancer. You did an excellent job, Josh. And also thank you to Dr. Lucas Vitsum for helping us out with reviewing the script. And then also thank you to all, to all of you for listening. You'll find our show notes again at our website at thebeam.com. And be well and remember to trust but always verify. Bye.